Drive-by cinema. Three nachos and a foaming thermos of fun. Welcome to the Drive-by Cinema Recording Studios, where we are about to record Series 3, Episode 41 of Drive-by Cinema, with me, Rick, and my co-host, Paul. I am indeed his co-host, Paul. In his newly muffled squeaky chair. (laughs) That is right, yeah. So no squeaks tonight. Watching the movie so you don't have to. Welcome to Drive-by Cinema, Paul. Yes. How are you doing? Uh, you missed the excitement of the weekend. Uh, you know, on last week's episode, here's the first correction, I intimated that we might be going to a concert on the Friday night. Of course, it wasn't the Friday night. If it had been, it might have been easier. But in fact, it was on the Saturday. Yes. Actually, simultaneous to the Eurovision Song Contest. Woohoo! Yes. <laughs> so, uh, Paul, you missed the concert, though. You couldn't get I did because the trains didn't work. The trains were not working at all. And uh, the replacement, well, not the replacement bus service, the National, National Express was chock-a-block as a result. For once. Or was it stagecoach? Well, I can't remember. I'm not sure whether... Have we done our bit supporting the striking train drivers then by, by failing to... <laughs> I don't know if I'm supporting or not supporting. By 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 not using or using their their services. Well, you couldn't you couldn't use them, could you? I guess that's the key thing. But you, you didn't take to the road because your car is out of action, unserviceable. Well, you'll be pleased to know. I could have got an Uber, but I just too parsimonious. You'll be pleased to know, Paul. I managed in an unlikely series of events to sell the electronic tickets. You did not to to a ticket tout you on didn't. the door, uh, Paul. Let me ask you this. You could have lied about that. I, I was about to, you know, ping you some money. If <laughs> Oh, wait a minute. He still wants the money. Go on, Richard. Carry on. <laughs> well, let, let me ask you this, Paul. Imagine you're walking along the sidewalk. Yes, I owe you a commission. I do owe you a commission. And you wonder, hmm, I wonder what that gig is all about. You don't know who it is, but you go up to one of the friendly ticket touts selling tickets uh, outside of the venue, and he offers you an electronic ticket. How much would you pay an outside-the-venue ticket tout for an electronic ticket half an hour before the gig is due to start? 15 quid. Oh, wow. Okay. That's all right, then. Well, I got 10 for two. £10 for two. Oh, two people didn't come. So, there we go. Uh, Unfortunately, I... I still owe you there for how much? In the process of sending a ticket tout I'd never met before... Yeah. uh, Over WhatsApp... You sent him... What? I sent him an erotic picture. <laughs> <laughs> Are you not, making not of myself? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and not, not also not anyone I know. Oh, but for anyone listening, that's also safe. Uh, in fact, I don't know where that erotic picture came from. Uh, but <laughs> yeah. It could have been much worse. It could have been, you know, potential uh, harassment case. <laughs> So, so all told, I still owe you £35, is that right? It wouldn't pay for the first round. And they were complaining, weren't they, on Facebook about the price of uh, drinks at the uh, Eurovision. And I didn't find them that exorbitant, to be honest with you. I oh, mean, they were you were there? No, no, I, I was on Facebook. They were steep, but they weren't that steep. It was like six quid for a for 400 mil of John Smith or something. I mean, it's, they've got to pay for I, their concession, haven't they? That's what people don't understand is they're not getting a free pitch, you know, I mean. 
Who the is bar, the, the bar selling the pitch? Yeah, the, oh, bar, the bars are not getting a free pitch. They're, they're paying a lot for the, their pitches, you know. So, all told, did you watch Eurovision, Paul? Because obviously, I well, I was stuck at home on my own, sort of twiddling yeah. my thumbs and kind of cursing myself for not being more proactive about ordering an Uber and that kind of thing. But then ultimately decided I wouldn't have done that anyway. So yeah, I did watch a bit of it. Right, and who stood out to you? Were any Graham? Graham? Graham Norton stood out for me. Oh no, sorry, the, the singers. Yeah, well, that and there was only one winner, and that was the Swedish girl with incredible claws. To be fair, that is the normal arrangement of the Eurovision, isn't there? The, the one winner thing built into the. Oh, format. I thought you meant the long fingernails thing. Okay. Yeah, I, there was a point that I kind of switched off and switched back on, where she was winning. She was taken from the green room, which is actually a huge sort of star-filled or B-list star-filled room in another part of the arena. And she was dragged through the backstage to go and perform her song again. And I thought she had labial chafing, but it wasn't. It was high heels. So it was making her look funny. <laughs> and that was really the only light moment of the evening. So that was the... I mean, did you like any of the songs? Or any? I actually didn't hear any of the songs, unfortunately. You didn't hear any of the songs? Although, I, you know, I, I saw an interview with a British girl beforehand. Right. And yeah, I, I kind of well? see why she didn't score well. Ah, oh dear. Why she, was she a personality black hole? She was a bit like I, I can't really do the impression, but she was like, "Oh, amaze balls all the time about amaze ballsness." <laughs> very live, laugh, love, live, laugh, love kind of vibe going on. She did not do very well, sadly. In the UK really didn't. <laughs> we didn't perform, did we? Uh, and Ukraine didn't win. People have been saying that it was a fix so that Sweden wins, so that. On the anniversary of ABBA winning next year, I, I, I mean, I'm not sure how you go about. How do you go about fixing the Eurovision Song Contest? Or do you think it would actually be trivially easy? I, I, well, I, neighbouring countries often vote for each other, don't they? So there's strong block voting element. Yeah. So I don't think you I, could fix it really. You, I take it you weren't betting on it then, Paul. No, no. I should have done. I should have followed the bookies' favourite, the Swedish. Because there are people who bet or have been betting on Eurovision, because what they do is they look for diasporas, because a country cannot vote for itself. Right? True. But countries which have a large diaspora community outside of their own nation, obviously, those oh, citizens... Oh, you can't phone in, you can't, the, the phone vote can't, you can't vote for yourself. Exactly. I didn't know that. Ah. So, if you track the population locations of different diasporas you can make predictions about the you know the the the, the big potential favorites and if you combine that with an understanding of the kind of music that does well in the eurovision yes you can make accurate enough predictions that people have made a living of gambling <laughs> on eurovision <laughs> amazing anyway i don't want to give you any ideas paul um shall we yes talk about this week's movie Maybe yeah, after you've got nothing else to to tidy up. No, music maestro, I think. Take it away, Paul. Right, okay, so this is the bit I'm supposed to do and I never do uh, satisfactorily or with any level of competence. Okay, so this week's movie... We never talked about that. I just thought... <laughs> well, it's an admission on my part. I mean, it's, it's 
It's growth, Rich. You see it growth, you know, in my personal Personal development. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, this week's movie is called Triangle of Sadness. Triangle of Sadness. And what is the Triangle of oh, Sadness? Oh, he wants more. Okay. So, well, I guess it's talking about a love triangle. But uh, it's a it's a oh. love triangle with only two edges. I mean, the third part is not fully reciprocated. Okay, so here's a question, Paul. Have you watched this film? Yeah. It's a question. Because in the first, like, 30 seconds, I think, they explain what the Triangle of Sadness is. Oh, 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 sorry. Yeah, 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 yeah. I have, yeah. I, what total shifts there are in this movie? Okay. Uh, like, <laughs> it started off as Sasha Baron Cohen, didn't it, really? Like <laughs> It did a start really, very Bruno, yeah, yeah. Very Bruno-esque sort of pret-a-porter kind of, you know, uh, the harsh glare of the, the, the model catwalk scene kind of thing. Where the triangle of sadness is indeed, he was asked to, you know, he's a budding, is it Alex? Yeah, he's a budding model, isn't no, no. he? You're he's so, called Carl. Carl, I'm the, sorry, let's just get names wrong to yeah. start off with. Okay, he's called Carl and uh, he's a budding model, up and going model, British guy. Uh, and uh, he's asked to relax his triangle of sadness. His triangle of sadness. Mm. And what is a triangle of sadness? <laughs> a triangle of sadness appears to be a furrowed brow or, you know, some concentration between the eyebrows kind of thing. Yeah, I would call it a triangle of confusion sort of. Yeah. But th- there's a whole sort of set piece before that, isn't there? It's very Bruno-esque where I think it's actually the, the uh, show director is coming in and sort of introducing his boys. Or is it an interviewer? I don't know. It's, it's, it's an interviewer. Just an interviewer. Yeah. Okay. And uh, he's saying some rather riposty kind of things about the whole the whole scene of being a male model. But he's getting them all to do their two faces for happy brands. Is it, yeah, there's apparently, yeah, there's a high class, uh, high class brands. Which you have to be grumpy yeah. for. You have to be grumpy. You have to scowl. And cheap brands. We have to be inanely welcoming. Happy. Yeah. And then Which is got- the level? That's the level of acting that's that's asked of a male model, isn't it? I think that's, <laughs> you've got also, two modes. Well, he goes through. He goes through his audition. He's asked to walk with rhythm as well, isn't he? So there is. He is. They, there is. Well, they 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 actually give him some tuition for free during his audition, don't they? Yeah. And they go, they look through his what do you call it? His folio of past work. So he might need some. And the important thing is is Botox. he did a he did a. Promotion for some kind of perfume or aftershave, didn't he? Uh, it must be aftershave, I guess. Although perfume is perfume, isn't it? It is, yeah. People get very sniffy about or the toilet or perfume. P- people have a big thing about uh, like what Americans called acts and what we call links. What is that thing about links? I mean, yeah, people say that it smells like teenagers. I mean, well, I realize teenagers that- wear it. Yeah, and I realise that a teenage boy puts too much on. But mm. look, you know, the people who make those scents are just the same level of expertise as the people who make the finest, you know, oh, yeah, the finest absolutely. perfumiers. It's the same techniques, completely. So it's a fam- familiarity. It's a lack of exclusivity there, isn't it? I mean, brute as a perfume for a man is probably just as functional and as competent as other, as other perfumes. But we all recognise well, sure. the smell of brute, don't we? I particularly do because it's the only perfume I've been using for the last two years. It's £6.99 for a gift set from uh, from Boost. Did you buy it or did you get given it as a I gave it myself. Gift? Oh, well, that's nice. The other nice thing about this opening sequence with the male models is 
that guy mentions when he's, he's describing the brands, isn't he? The grumpy yeah. brands. And he uses Balenciaga as his go-to. <laughs> have you seen, have we talked about this? Did we yeah. talk about this in the other podcast? Have you seen all the videos that they've got? The YouTube videos, which no. are no. characters in big films done Balenciaga style. Okay. 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 I have to, I got to YouTube this and I got to send, send you these, don't I? Because uh, there was like about two weeks ago, this was the the big thing, and <laughs> there was hundreds of them. Uh, here, we, here we go. Here, I've got one here. Uh, so, Paul, you have watched the Balenciaga Star Wars. I have indeed. YouTube video. There are many of them. Oh, dear. And there's Harry Potter. There's Star Trek. There's Dune. Mm-hmm. Although, the thing about Dune is, Dune is already quite arch and fashionable. It is. It's very chisel cheap, Barnes, isn't it? So it's a bit, it's a bit like a hat on a hat. Doing how they put a bit more colour into Dune? I don't believe. Well, maybe. Oh. I don't believe so. What do you think? What's your first reaction to the Star Wars Balenciaga? Cringe. Uh, uh, do you find it slightly unnerving? Yes. Disturbing, I would say. It's in the uncanny valley. So let me tell you how these. <laughs> Go on. Let me tell you how those those are made. And it's oh. all done through AI mostly. Okay. So here, here's what they that do. That makes it better, actually. Here's what they do. They go to ChatGTP and they'll say, "Give me the ten top ten characters in Star Wars." Right. Give them a list of characters, and then they'll get ChatGTP to generate prompts for Midjourney, the art generator, for each character. Wow. In the style of a fashion house like Balenciaga. I mean, there are ones for Gucci and Versace as well, but Balenciaga is the most popular one. So they're just proving that they're no longer employable, basically. (laughs) So ChatGTP generates all these prompts. They feed them into mid-journey. They get out a bunch of pictures for each prompt. They choose the ones they like the best. And they'll get, you know, 10 different still images, still images for, uh, for the different characters. I see. They then take those and they put them in a website which will make still images appear to move. Yes. And that's why they've got that weird effect where, you know, they move, but their hair gets st- less stays behind a bit. But they do quite convincingly make them blink in a very unnatural I didn't realise they weren't real people. And they, can, they make them talk as well. Now, they also take a few minutes of dialogue from the actors and the characters. I see. And they feed those into another website... Uh, which ingests them all, and then they can type in the script, which will be things like, you know, the power of Balenciaga is blah, 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 whatever. And then they'll make the characters say the words with Balenciaga in them very cleverly. And then There's they marry some awful them lines in there. I really need your help to help me with my, <laughs> my imperial fashion and stuff like this. It was all yeah. too lame, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, but it is lame when you see one, but when you see it again and again, you know, it has that effect of becoming funnier the more times you see it. Uh, so it's then, not by Balenciaga? Uh, it's not by Balenciaga. Oh, okay, that makes it okay. I thought this was Balenciaga trying to be... No. Oh, okay. Oh, oh, no, then it's not cringe at all. Sorry. It's satirical. It's satirical. It's satirical. Oh, okay. It's completely different. I missed I missed the entire point of it all. Sorry. But it shows uh, how convincing it is. Yeah. It's... it's it's weird. It's creepily eerie, isn't it? It's great. And almost all done through AI. But those voices, very convincing, some of them. Well, three voices. seconds apparently is all you need. You know, if oh, you get gosh. 
Well, the scam is coming, you know. People ring up your kid, get your kid's number, uh, get three seconds of his voice, and then, Mom, uh, can I have your credit card number? I've, you know, I need to get home in a rush kind of thing. Uh, and people are going to start scamming people out of money, aren't they? With their wow. relatives and, and close friends' voices. The only way to be sure is not to have kids. <laughs> Keep but it's already voice. happened. This scam has already occurred. So. And if you do have kids, get rid of them. Uh, uh, hand them off on somebody. <laughs> so it, it's very, very weird that those those set of fake adverts, but kind of mirror the kind of vapid, the vapid satire, or the satire of the vapid nature of this industry that I think he was going for in this first first act. There are three parts of this movie, aren't there? Yeah, so that's another reason why it's a triangle, isn't it? It works on many levels, like a lot of clever things. So the fashion show starts, and uh, and uh, and the back screen, there's like you know. A backdrop saying disaffection is new, the new masquerading of opt- optimism or something equally meaningless. So, uh, there is a, no, it's it's there is a new climate entering the world of fashion. <laughs> That's right, there's a new climate, and then it said entering the world of fashion, and they all clap like it's like it's the cleverest thing to do. Yeah, uh, you missed the bit where before the start of that fashion show, uh, the whole front row was all seated and. One of the uh, hostesses comes up and says, we've got to move you because three more people are here. And so these people are ushered out of their seats rudely. And then there's a fourth one comes and they say, everyone to the left here, move down one place. And so our boy Carl, the model we saw at the start of the film, he gets moved off the end of the row and has to go and sit further back. It's ignominious, isn't it? So he's they're making a point. Yep. They're making a point at the start of this that male models earn a third less, a third of their. They do, yeah. The yeah. female model equivalents, in a very rare case, where average salaries are higher for men, uh, for women, uh, for women than they are for men. Post show, no. we cut to him and presumably his girlfriend, his girlfriend Yaya, who is a model also, yeah. uh, and as successful no. or nearly as successful as him, and they're in a restaurant, aren't they? a very fine restaurant, maybe above their years. Now, before we get too much more into this film, yeah. we have to address, I think we should just address, the really sad fact about Yaya. Yeah, she's not with us anymore. Yeah, this the young actress who played her, uh, whose name I did write down, uh, but it's quite it's like Charlby, isn't it? Charlby. That's right, yeah. She had some sort of weird bacterial infection years back, and it compromised her immune system, is that right? Something like that. She, I think she had a spleen removed ah, after some kind okay. of accident. I'm intrigued to know where is the freaking spleen. Nobody <laughs> knows, do they? Nobody, nobody knows. It's a you can rupture it though. I know that much. It is. It's rupt- It's in a highly rupturable area. But uh, and I don't think you need it, but it has some implication in your immune system, doesn't it? Shelby Dean was her name. So not long after this film, she caught sepsis. Because of her lack of spleen, this caused many she couldn't fight it off, or there was a complication, and she sadly died, mm. which is tragic. Because mm-hmm. she's very good in this film. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So uh, before I just thought we better say that before we have a go at her, <laughs> <laughs> or her character. Well, we'll probably have a go at her character that she plays on. Yeah, she- so things are not going well at the restaurant. It's a gorgeous restaurant. It's a beautiful meal. Uh, they should be enjoying life. But they're not, are they? 
It's an upscale and rather fusty restaurant, if you ask me. Yeah, a bit beyond their years, I think. And when it comes to the bill, the bill gets placed on the table. And Carl, after a while, Carl moves to pick it up. Yeah. And she barely looks up from her compact mirror thing, a makeup mirror, and says, thank you, or whatever. I think this was some of his best acting, I think, in the movie, you know, where he's trying to broach the subject, but he's doing that very sort of, I don't know, it's a particularly British British man mannerism, where he's being really aggressive, isn't he? But in in a very sort of subdued way. Well, his point was that she had offered to pay, I think, the previous night. Yeah. But now she acts like, you know... Uh, it was obvious that he should be paying or something, you know, yeah. or that she'd never said that. Um, and also implies that she was going to pay him back later anyway. And eventually they have an argument, you know, in an embarrassing way in the, in the restaurant, mm-hmm. after which she gets out her card, bumps it on the table, <laughs> but it gets rejected and the waiter has to come back and say, you got another card. So then he- she tries paying with money. And eventually he pays anyway. Yeah, he, 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 he gives in, he caves in and says, okay, I'll pay. But then she takes her money back, which later on is another source of irritation for him, isn't it? And in the taxi ride, he tries to broach the subject with his girlfriend, but she says it's unsexy to talk about money. Mm-hmm. And um, later, I think, they have another argument, don't they? They have a falling out by a lift, which is interesting. And eventually he goes back to his hotel room she comes to him eventually, and they have a, a heart-to-heart discussion. But about no makeup sex, you know. I thought I gender thought... roles and money. I guess that's the modern way of doing it, rather than making up with sex. It's Paul. It's much more intimate to talk about money it than is. to have sex. No, it is. It is particularly for British people. It'd be excruciating, wouldn't it? So, uh, I, he, he, of... no, he was making some good points, though. He was saying, you know, first of all, as we've discussed, they're both in the modelling industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, th- I think that influences. She's obviously a model as well. I suppose an influencer is a kind of model. But uh, so she's earning more money. They make that point, but they try to make out like it's not a big deal. But as he points out, you know, he said that in the restaurant, the menu she was given didn't even have prices on it. Yeah, which is extremely sexist, isn't it? <laughs> that is very, very sexist indeed, <laughs> and patronising as well. So I think we cut that point, don't we, to the next part of the movie. Uh, although the, we did miss a little bit because oh. the taxi driver gives him advice. when she leaves the taxi he gives some unsolicited advice doesn't he because he's a Parisian taxi driver or something I, I think they were in Paris yeah, is that right? I think you're right yeah it, uh, this whole movie actually takes place in a kind of netherworld which is not I can't you can't quite tell where it is it could be London it could be Paris but they're all speaking French aren't they, so. well the rich the, the very rich uh, although they're not very rich people but I guess they're in that kind of circle where they might be invited apparently they all know where they're all going to be around the globe over the 12 months there are places that the rich go to for each month basically yeah yeah cows, and if you're that rich you know nation states don't mean anything they don't mean do anything they? so cows is a location Kansas is a location um, the Hamptons, you know, and and, uh, and the coast of America is a, is a location for various different months, so they all kind of flock down there to be amongst themselves. So I've got to stop you there. I've got to stop you there, Paul. One of those things you mentioned isn't a location so much as an animal. I think I think you mentioned cows. Cows week, yeah. I as I say, more of a mammal than a place. But isn't it a boating thing that happens on the south coast of England? 
What do I know? What do I don't I, know. Am I'm I wearing, I'm, I'm, I'm wearing espadrilles? I'm, I'm awaiting correction. <laughs> I'm awaiting correction. Uh, so you can imagine it might be quite a cosseted and closeted world that they that they constantly bump into each other. That you know the ten thousand super rich of the world. But anyway, the taxi driver's advice, which is quite important, I wrote it down. Is she says you've got to fight for her, fight for her, or you will become a slave. <laughs> and it's an important part of the movie, isn't it? It is. Yeah, it is a very important part of the movie. I also like the bit where he was struggling. With the multiple bedside switches in the hotel room. Oh, that happens to me all the time. And none of them switch on the standard line. The standard line, <laughs> yeah. And, and then he went inside. Then he did the right thing. He went to the base for the clickable thing. <laughs> Wasn't there. Then he went inside. And I think he tried to take out the bourbon birds himself. I'm not sure. But yeah, there wasn't even those annoying old-fashioned switches on the inside near to the uh, near to the uh, the nest. I don't know what you call it. What do you call the thing you put the bulb in? The... Uh, ah, socket, okay. kind of yeah. The fitting the fitting the fitting. Yeah, there is a word for it. I think. Now, have we mentioned that his girlfriend's name is Yaya? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah we have. Yeah. She says some interesting things because when she's making up with him, she says that she recognizes that she can be so manipulative. Yeah, which is also quite a manipulative manipulative thing uh, yes. to say of yourself isn't it <laughs> it was very very manipulative to lay those cards out on the table and disable the nuclear arm, arm, arms race there wasn't it but they make it clear that they then imply that the relationship they're in is more like best friends who fuck mm-hmm. and they do it partly as well as sort of a public couple thing because it improves their instagramability yeah Exactly. That's the word I was about to use. Or the snappability. Something like that. So they're doing it partly as a business thing. Although, obviously, I think Carl must love Yaya because she's pretty cool, isn't she? Yeah. But she says, as a model, the only way out of this life for me is to become a trophy wife. That's still true. I guess it is. Well, especially if she hasn't, you know, equipped herself with alternative career skills. What those are in this day and age, I don't know. Apparently, according to Suella Braverman, fruit picking or lorry driving. (laughs) She said we should train up uh, indigenous population or something. I don't know what word she used, but something offensive like that. To do those jobs like lorry driving or fruit picking. And I wonder what qualification you get to become a fruit picker. Uh, Saw back. Bunions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I see bunions. Let's see if you qualify for this. Uh, and the other thing is, I don't imagine, even though she's suggesting this, that she's in any way suggesting that government funding will be training lorry drivers. I think she's just saying the private sector should do more of it, isn't she? Yeah, she's wafting people in the general correct direction. direction. Yeah. Like, yeah, because she's right. We we have lost a lot of skills and a lot of. You know, just the ability to do things in this country, like, for instance, run a country, seems to be completely absent, doesn't it? Part two. We cut very quickly to part two, don't we? The luxury or, yeah, yeah. Was it quickly, though? Do you think? Did this film for you go quickly? uh, No. I I, I sort of looked down and I said, oh, it's only an hour and a half. Then I looked again and said, oh, no, that's how long's remaining. It's two and a half hours long, this thing. Impossibly long. I didn't mind it, right? It didn't drag, no. 
It didn't drag, but it was long, and I felt like I'd been on a proper journey with this film as a consequence. It felt like they did at the end, I imagine. Scene two is yacht. Luxury yacht. And it actually opens with an expression of the privilege that we're in the presence of, because a yellow pelican case is being carried by Chopper. It gets dropped close to the yacht into the water, and is picked up floating by one of the motor launches by some of the crew of the yacht. It gets taken back to the kitchen. Sorry, I think in in maritime terms that should be a galley. Where the chef opens the pelican case and extracts jars of Nutella. (laughs) Presumably one of the very, very well-heeled guests has asked for some cheap but unavailable on the yacht Nutella. And then the head of the service team gives an extremely peppy talk. <laughs> this centered around, centered around the idea of them all getting huge tips. She was so insincere and so clammy, and it was really well done. Paula, Fernandez Paula. And she seems to be some sort of uh, blonde-haired Scandinavian. They all wind up like stamping on the floor and clapping their hands, don't they? Did he say the and Filipinos? I was going to say, you cut cut below deck to the Filipinos who do actual hard work. (laughs) That's not fair. Obviously, waiting hand and foot on rich people is also hard work. But it's not quite as hard work, I suggest, as cleaning the toilets and making the engines go. And one of those Filipino housemaids is trying to get into Carl and Yaya's room. Uh, And it it is a bit annoying when you're in a hotel room and housekeeping comes by. and they want, because they've got only minutes to clean those rooms, all those rooms. Mm-hmm. So you're really very much in the way. But on the other hand, you're paying a lot of money to stay in that room. It's a bit annoying, isn't it? It is annoying. I see. You're not. You're a bit on the fence, though, Paul. No, you it, don't know. Who, you don't know who to side with, do you? It depends how much you're paid. I think. Well, if you're in a youth hostel and you roll up your. You're bedding at the end of the bed in the shared room. Yeah, you can't expect to be left alone in privacy, can you? No, no. You won't be left alone. I mean, the smell of socks will permeate the whole place. <laughs> but yeah, I think if you paid more than 200 quid, I think you can happily tell them to fuck off and come back late. That's the oh, that's the, the line, is it? I think that's the line, quid. Yeah, yeah. Per night, gosh, okay. Mm. That's That's quite a hotel, Paul. Well, that's, that's your standard decent five star, isn't it? Okay, so b- below that, you no expectation of privacy can can be entertained. <laughs> no, I think you can tell them to go away, but don't expect your room to be to be made that day. I mean. They don't since COVID. I maybe it's not true everywhere, but since COVID, I think getting your room done is either once every other day, or uh, I think you have to ask for it these days. I think. I mean, yeah. I mean, there's so many things that haven't come back after COVID that really should come back, aren't they? Like government competence? I don't know. That, that was long before, <laughs> long before COVID. <laughs> Carl is reading a particular book on the sun deck. Did you notice? Is he? I didn't see that. He was reading Ulysses. Ah. Uh, which which one? The garbled Irish variety or the, or the original? Ah, I don't, I don't know. I didn't see which. Yeah. I mean, either of them would be difficult read at the best of times. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure it was something I'd be tackling on a holiday. But I think uh, the actor who played Carl 
it's probably polite to say that he's called Harris Dickinson. He is. He had, I think he discussed something about that as being important to his backstory. Oh. Something that was cut out of the script when they filmed it. <laughs> but he just took the book with him, I think. So. Failed actually. <laughs> to look intellectual. Probably. Anyway, so they're on the deck looking like they're absorbing the most gorgeous sunrise. And uh, we get the first sort of fracas between them because, uh, I mean, the boat is being scrubbed up spotless, isn't it? All kinds of activities going on. It's like a beehive in there. But uh, some uh, hirsute and hairy, hairy-chested Greek guy turns up to do something mechanical with the sails. Not with the sails, as it later transpires. It's a, it's a power boat, isn't it? And, he, you know, he strips off uh, the top, his, his, his top off, strips off his shirt. And his does, coveralls. Yeah. yeah, and does his manly thing. And, uh, you know, says a cheeky hello to Yaya. And, of course, this sets uh, this sets Carl off again, doesn't it? Oh, he's mega jelly, isn't he? As it were. He's a bit unreasonable, I would say. He does take it quite personally, yeah. Mm. yeah. But then again, you know... Yaya is, without question, an attractive woman. Um, <laughs> so what can you do? Difficult. He goes up to complain about this to to Paula, the head steward, and says, I'm sorry, but one of your members of staff is uh, on deck without without a shirt on. Uh, and she says, I'll do everything I can to stop that right away. He says, oh, by the way, can I buy an engagement ring? And she shows him an engagement <laughs> ring, asks her the price, and she yeah. says... Oh, that one is twenty eight thousand euros. <laughs> you know, she's so squeamish. I think she does this really well. The actress. It's like she's so uncomfortably servile, but predatory at the same time, isn't she? It's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I was trying to figure out what what kind of yacht, what kind of cruise they're on. It because it's not like a millionaire's yacht they're on. It's slightly no. bigger than that, maybe. It's a very exclusive cruise, isn't it, really, is, is the, the level that we're yeah, at. Yeah, for 24 people kind of thing. Because we learn later that Yaya and Carl are on here because of their influencer status. They've been given, They've been given this trip yeah. for free. Yeah. So they're really the interlopers, they are. Here, aren't they? They're, yeah. they're out of their depths slightly, but they're used to, I mean, pretending. You know, they know how to live the, the life, don't they? But they're not super rich, not unlike most of the other guests. So, a uh, bit awkward for poor Carl there. Yeah. Uh, we also know that the captain isn't coming out of his cabin. <laughs> it's obvious he's rolling drunk in there, and Paula doesn't <laughs> do what she does. She just can't get him out of there at all. At dinner. And of course, it's an old fashioned cruise thing, isn't it? But dinner times, you usually get put on a table with other cruise people who you're not necessarily in your party, but they're yeah. on your table. So Carl and Yaya, well, he's taking pictures of Yaya eating uh, pasta. That's right. For their Instagram. But she uh, never actually eats it, of course, because she's, she's gluten, gluten intolerant. intolerant yeah. <laughs> uh, a lactose intolerant, I think she says. Is pasta made of milk? I don't know if it is. I think she it says is. Glute, I'm sure she says gluten uh, intolerant. <laughs> are you sure? I'm pretty sure. I made a mental note that he was lactose intolerant. Anyway, uh, maybe. I guess somebody can correct us or correct me. Uh, as the case may be, yeah. Uh, so this this comment is made by I assume is the French wife of a Russian oligarch. So yeah, so they're speaking to this French uh, no Fre- this Russian fertilizer magnet. He says he make, makes his money in shit. But his wife is French, or his girlfriend is French, maybe. So he's got oh, his wife. Is that his girlfriend or his daughter even with him? I'm, oh, I, it's not clear. 
there's a, there's a woman and a younger woman both with him. Yeah, I think it's his girlfriend and his daughter. But I don't think the his girlfriend is the daughter's mother. Right. Oh, right. Okay. P- plausible. Yeah. I don't know how you got that complicated family <laughs> family tree arrangement out, but there we go. Now we also know at dinner that there is a lady there who's had a stroke, a German lady, and as a consequence, sadly, she can only say "in den Vulcan" in the clouds. In the clouds. Uh, There's a lonely. There's a lonely European businessman who's just sold his his company. He's an he's an app developer. He's an app developer company for billions, Uh, and he's eager to have some female company because he's been stood up. By his uh, his escort, and Carl and the ship millionaire, the Russian ship millionaire, watch as he tries to get their <laughs> girlfriends or wives or whatever they are <laughs> to take a picture with him, which they do ultimately. And as a consequence, he offers to buy them both Rolexes from from the shop. Also, we see that Carl has successfully got that engineer guy fired. <laughs> And he, he's watching, isn't he, over the side of the ship as he gets taken off, off-boarded, as it, as it were. I think a little later we meet the British couple, the kind of classic kind of rose on the Titanic kind of old money uh, who made their who made their fortune uh, selling personal protection equipment. What do they call it? Hand grenades. Hand grenades, in other words. They said, we used to sell landmines, but they're illegal now. <laughs> Now, so all of these characters are obviously very rich. Yeah. Apart from Yaya and Carl, who are just moderately rich, I suppose. But uh, the director of the film and the writer of this film, whose name is Ruben Ostland, mm-hmm. uh, I think he's said of the way he's done this that he didn't want to depict the rich people as truly odious, you know, cartoon caricatures. Oh, well, that's a surprise. <laughs> I mean, they come off fairly awful, don't they? I mean, they do come off fairly awful. They, but, they come across uh, like greedy pigs rolling in shit quite, quite, quite literally and quite visually at one point in the movie. <laughs> yeah, well, it ramps up, doesn't it? Yeah. But, I mean, you could argue that, like, the the business guy and the... The old couple. I mean, they're perfectly pleasant people. I mean, they might have. I mean, the the, the older couple obviously have been selling weapons as a a, a living, but they seem quite nice, don't sure, they? Sure, on a personal level, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's the point. Is they're not they're not pantomime villains. That's all I want to say. And indeed, you know, they're all kind of getting along, aren't they? Yeah. Even though the, the Russian guys are a bit. Oh yeah, they're painted human. I mean, they're flawed. Yeah. But human no. characters, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And now, they are getting along really well. I mean, it would be nice, I think, to mix somewhat uncomfortably with rich people who've got money to splash and, and champagne to pour, you know. I mean. Now, we do get we do get Carl and Yaya having make-up sex on oh, the boat here, don't they we? They do, yes, yes. He pretends he's the pool engineer. <laughs> And that he, her husband's away, and he's come to. And she's mend giggling the with the poor movie essence of it all, isn't she? So she loves it really. So, but the setup here, of course, is that we've got these rich people who are kind of think think of themselves as nice. Everyone's the hero in their own story, 
And we've got the crew staff, who, as you say, mm. are fawningly obsequious and desperate for an enormous tip that will change their lives. No, cue poor Abigail at the at the poolside. Not Abigail. Abigail is the Filipino. Oh, sorry. But there is one of the serving He's waitresses. Called so. something similar, but I forgot what. Oh, yeah, she is. Yeah, you're right. It, is, it begins with A, doesn't it? It does, yeah, yeah. But like the captain, nobody knows her, her full name or remembers it properly. But the rich Russian wife, <laughs> girlfriend. <laughs> this is brilliant. This is brilliant. She's saying, oh, we're all equal <laughs> at one point. There's an awkward pause as this girl <laughs> is tipping champagne into a glass while she lounges in the pool. And then she says, you know, is there anything you wish for? And then she basically commands her to get in the pool. And the poor waitress is like, I don't Look, think I can do that. It's so uncomfortable <laughs> because she say, what she's saying is, you know, the reason that you're not enjoying yourself is not because you're poorer than me. It's because the qualities that made me rich are the qualities that allow me to enjoy life and seize the moment. I'm going to teach you how to do that and you must obey me. And it's just, oh... <laughs> It's I command it, you to be free kind of thing. Isn't I it? command you to be free. You must do it now. And you get this that, <laughs> that amazing tension where she's just ordering this girl to obey her, and you know, and the poor girl dance say no. <laughs> this film is very clever, isn't it? Mm. Um, so we now get, we know we get the poor, we get the poor girl in the in the in the in the hot tub instead of jumping <laughs> into the sea. But in the meantime, the the Russian the Russian uh, the Russian oligarch's wife has up the scale and is now demanding that the whole crew jump <laughs> Go in swimming. the ocean yeah. and enjoy the moment. <laughs> so you get this scene where the chef, who is very busy preparing an elaborate, you know, five star meal for the captain's dinner tonight. Uh, which is like octopus and stuff. Which yeah, should have been Thursday, but it, but it is Thursday because the captain refused to come out any other day, and Thursday is going to be a night of the storm. Sorry, Rich, I interrupted. No, you're quite right. The tension is building, but the the, the chef the chef tells all the kitchen staff to down tools. They have to all go to the water side, and he mentions <laughs> in passing that this food is just going to go rotten. So, the first officer is getting Woody Harrelson, who is the captain, out of his cabin. And he is clearly drunk uh, and not dressed, but he, he he insists that he's going to get dressed formally for dinner. We then cut to bad weather at dinner time with <laughs> things already falling off the tables, you know, wine glasses and stuff. The That's delicate the, the starting clinks working. and the sound of the wind is really nicely built up, you know. There's almost there's almost a, there's a symphony of, of, of catastrophe waiting to build here, isn't it? Now, your favourite Paula, she sets off... The electric automatic piano from mm. her smartphone, which just starts tinkling along playing music. Amazing. Really cool. Uh, and the captain has indeed got dressed in his whites. And uh, they start welcoming the guests to dinner, including uh, the lady with dementia, who, as you said, just like you, Paul, thought that the ship had sails for a while <laughs> and that they were dirty and needed oh, cleaning. Oh, no, it wasn't her, was it? Because she, she wasn't able to speak, was she? No, that's a different lady. There's the German lady with a stroke in a wheelchair, and there's a lady who can walk around, but clearly doesn't have all her marbles oh, because she just oh, thinks she's on a sailboat. Okay. Because the brochure had sails, I think. So now we get some exquisite shots of really quite atrocious Cordon Bleu and Hawk, Hawk cuisine, don't we? 
that does oh, there's a lot of there's a lot of very elaborate lifting of clunches to reveal uh, ultimately not very appetizing food oysters and black russian caviar which they're devouring with awful noises and then there's this weird confiture of, of translucent jelly that's just quivering in the coming <laughs> storm and he really lingers on that shot some of it's really beautifully done and i love how a lot of the waitresses are saying Oh, if you're feeling seasick, you should eat something because it's worse than an empty stomach. (laughs) (laughs) But that jelly is just quivering in such a vulgar and delicate way like the rich, you know, just waiting to be smashed. Another clunch. Sea urchin with an emulsion of seaweed. (laughs) Now the captain says, can I have a burger and chips, please? (laughs) Yes, burger and fries. (laughs) He says, I'm not one for fine dining. (laughs) The man's got a bit of Yorkshire in him. Anyway... So, no surprises. They all get food poisoning, don't they? Now, so, there were lots of points during this movie where I really wasn't sure where we were or where we were going. Right. I couldn't figure it out. I I hadn't looked up anything about this film before we started watching I it. See. I just went in completely cold, like a bath of water being thrown over me. But at this point, this is where I started laughing out loud. <laughs> Because this is the best vomiting I've seen on film since <laughs> Monsieur Creosote. This since, is the uh, most vomit that's ever won a Palm Door. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I mean, it is delightful and grotesque at the same time. It just doesn't stop, does it, the vomit? I mean, it's just everywhere. Well, the bit that just broke me was where the, the Russian wife lady, you know, <laughs> she, she loses it. Uh, she, but... You know, everyone rushes to her assistance. She asks for champagne to wipe it down. <laughs> she takes a swig of champagne and then baths again, this time fully projectile. And it lands on another chap who <laughs> looks a bit perturbed, but then carries on with his dinner. <laughs> so we've got people falling downstairs, vomiting, you know, people vomiting on in the bathroom, people rolling around in the bathroom, vomiting, and... Uh, Things just go completely awry, don't they? It, it gets worse and worse, doesn't it? Yep. People end up being sick everywhere. They'll flee the dining hall, go back to their cabins, except for the captain and the Russian, I think. They're having an argument about politics. The Russian hasn't been uh, eating, he's been drinking, and of course the captain is safe with his burger and fries. Burgers and fries. <laughs> Uh, the Russian tells this joke, uh, a joke or a quote, apparently from Ronald Reagan. Oh, Reagan, two of them from Ronald, yeah. Yeah, how do, you, how do you know how to tell a communist? It's someone who reads Marx and Lenin. And how do you tell an anti-communist? It's someone who understands Marx and Lenin. It's quite clever, because the answer would be somebody you can't read, you know, and he kind of flips it. You know, yeah. And so there's and two then, of them uh, where they're going, they're trying to Google... Quotes and of course, yeah. The captain's the captain's quote was Mark's the last way. capitals we hang will oh, be yes. the one who sold us the rope. Yes. Karl Marx. So the captain seems to be a bit of a socialist. Well, he calls himself a Marxist, doesn't he? Uh, obviously, the Russian oligarch is none of those things. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it's quite. Un- I mean, they're quite unsympathetically painted as you know a capitalist and a Marxist. The oligarch is obviously not a pure capitalist, is he? He made he made his fortune through. Through monopolising communist structures, didn't he? You know, and uh, it turns out the captain isn't that much of a socialist. Uh, well, he's a, he's a captain of a very fine luxury yacht, isn't he? And although he is eating a burger and fries, he could eat whatever he likes, presumably. Yeah. 
And he behaves pretty irresponsibly. (laughs) (laughs) However, he's got the upper hand in the drinking game because the Russian is so drunk that he doesn't realise the game he's playing with the captain. He's just doomed to lose. The captain asks him to guess if the next card in the deck of cards is going to be red or black. If he if he wins, he doesn't have to drink, but, but he doesn't get control of the game. You know, the captain continues showing cards, and if he loses, which he inevitably will do, he has to drink a whole a whole glass. We then get a load of shots of rich people on toilets, naked yes. and throwing up and shitting themselves, and toilets erupting with sewage and with stuff. effluvia and nice yeah. oil. Yeah. This, I think this bit is just trying to say very elaborately and in graphic detail that rich people are like anybody else, right? They put their pants on one leg at a time. Yes. Like anybody. Everyone uses the toilet. Everyone has had that moment where you're lying on the floor of the bathroom, uh, hugging hugging the toilet. Uh, for me, probably, that was appendicitis, though. It was a very serious so, condition. Also, I think this is foreshadowing the fact they're not aware of their human vulnerability yet, but they're going to have to face that later on in the movie, aren't they? We're facing it, though, aren't we? Good yeah. God. The Russian guy and the captain, they wind up on the public address system. The Russian guy starts saying <laughs> that the ship is going under. <laughs> So two guests, or well, I think many guests, put the life jackets on. The two of them fall down the stairs. Everyone winds up in the corridors, uh, all sick. The auto piano plays on, while the diligent Filipino crew attend to the dining room and clean everything up. And the captain reads Noam Chomsky over the tannoy. Unfortunately, somehow they managed to kill the power. I don't know if it's Paula that does that, or she's trying to mend Paula it. Paula in the first office. Yeah, yeah, that's right. They're trying to kill the public address system so that the captain can't read any more Noam Chomsky. At the and they managed to immobilise the entire boat. Unfortunately, then, pirates attack. <laughs> <laughs> Hilariously, you might wonder how, throwing a grenade, which lands on the deck next to Wilson and his wife, the grenade magnates. Pick it up and wonder if it's one of theirs. <laughs> Too late. So There's then- a big explosion, and it's a few hours later, and we start part three of the movie. The ship has sunk. There are very few survivors. Uh, they turn up bedraggled, panting, uh, on the shores of some admittedly quite gorgeous but deserted island. Now, this is like one of those episodes of Bear Grylls. Yes. Where he, just, he leaves people on the island... And they've got to figure it out. In fact, I don't think you could have imagined or done this scene without one of those reality TV shows. You're right. Yeah. And it unfolds very similar, in a very similar way to those shows where, uh, well, most of them, of course, have no clue how to do anything to help them survive. Uh, you know, and they've got no supplies with them. So they've got no water. They don't know how to make a fire. But fortunately, a, a lifeboat washes up, like a big orange thing that's popped out of the the, the, uh, the yacht. And in it is Abigail, one of the Filipina, the housemaid, actually, I suppose. She keeps getting called head of the toilet crew or something. <laughs> but she, naturally enough, does know how to fish. And look after herself. Not until Paula has requisitioned all the water and, and pretzels from Abigail 
which Abigail reluctantly, but quite humbly and quite subserviently, hands over to Paul. But she catches an octopus, doesn't she? Mm. First, she just jumps out of the lifeboat, runs over and catches an octopus straight away, builds a fire for them all, and then cooks it. And then... This is a pivotal moment, isn't it, where power swings her way. She chops it up and she says, she gives one to Paula for everybody. And then she takes another one for herself. Gives another one to Paula for everybody. Takes one for herself. Paula's going, hey, you know, you can't have all of that. This is mine. You know, I I caught the octopus. I built the fire. In there, I was the cleaning lady. Here, I'm the captain. (laughs) (laughs) And of course, they can't beat her with sticks because they're going to (laughs) starve. Quite so, yeah. yeah. So, Carl fucks up, doesn't he? Because left outside to look after the fire with the boys while the girls sleep in the lifeboat. He steals Uh, a bag of pretzels and lets the fire go out. So, Abigail is not too happy with him. Um, But she she has called him cutie before them. That's right, yeah, yeah. She confronts him about letting the the, the fire die. She says that Carl doesn't get any of the fish today. Uh, So, Carl wanders off sullen. He goes to a beach and he, he looks through a load of trash that's washed up. Flotsam or jetsam? I'm not sure. I'm not sure what the difference is between flotsam and jetsam. And he finds some perfume which presumably has come from the boat, yeah? Maybe. But the important thing is, it's the perfume he was once in an advertising campaign for. It was probably taken on a beach, wasn't it? The promo shop. That's a cute little thing you see. That you only learn if you read all of the notes in IMDb. <laughs> Uh, so, that night, Abby is doling out all the food. Obviously, she's not given any to Carl because he was a naughty boy. But then at the end of the, the meal, she's still got some of her own fish left. And she says, right, Carl didn't eat anything today, so he can stay with her in the lifeboat. <laughs> <laughs> now, Yo-Yo's furious. As you that, would be. You know. But she tells him, she sort of swallows her own ego and tells him to stroke Abigail's ego. Because, you know, they can... And he's actually got pretzels that Abigail has given to him, which he can give to Yaya sort of as a bribe, really. So he's kind of prostituting himself, isn't he? And she says, no kissing, no massages. It's obvious that (laughs) that Carl is more than ready to do what's required for his king and country, you know. And, And provide... Who wouldn't be? Yeah, some pleasures I, I, I'd be right in there, yeah. This middle yeah. idea. Yeah. <laughs> Sign me up. Yeah. So, um, yeah. The guys go out to hunt an animal. So this is the... There's a brain animal that's been guy. disturbing them in the night. They, they assume it's some sort of monstrous predator, but it turns out to be a donkey, doesn't it? So the Russian Anyamo, the app developer... And I think the guy who they all think he's possibly a pirate. They go out and they he the app developer tries to kill the donkey with a rock, big rock, like like hitting it on the head. But he doesn't kill it the first time, so he has to go back and do it. After which they're all ecstatic and they celebrate the big donkey. Now you see, I was expecting a turn in the plot here. I expected them to put Abigail on the fire at this moment. Now they learn how to hunt themselves. Because they've got, you know, they keep that meat in water, underwater in salt water. They've got, you know, a month's supply of food, haven't they? 
God, Paul. Well, I mean, I don't know. Do you trust donkey meat that's been kept in seawater? <laughs> if it's cooked, yeah. I mean, it should keep for a few days, shouldn't it? <laughs> if it's salt. Oh, there's no salt, is there? I guess. But well, you could do have... slow baking. You could, you could do that thing where you have hot coals under the ground. The sand stays hot for days and days, and you keep it at like sixty or seventy degrees. But Paul, they don't know how to make a fire. It's not just about the donkey meat. Have they not been spying on Abigail? They haven't. I must say they're not very proactive in, in, in usurping. They accept Abigail in this new kind of matriarchal kind of cult, don't they? Well, they do. Carl is sitting cross-legged next to Abigail's seat, isn't isn't he? And Yaya is jealous and goes over and kisses the uh, app developer guy to, to make Carl jealous. And at night, Carl has a heart-to-heart with Abby. And it, it's clear that he's probably quite into it, isn't he? He's not all that upset about it all. <laughs> no, he's not. He's not really complaining, is he? And in the morning, Yaya goes to the lifeboat. She says to Abby that she's going to climb over the mountains to see where they are. The other side, yeah. yeah. And she needs the backpack. So, but Abby says, "I'll go with you." And she's like telling, uh, telling Carl that she needs sort of alone time with Yaya. Like she's going to fix it all. To resolve things. So this is the uh, love triangle, Paul. It's Abby and Yaya and Carl. Yeah, but Yaya and Abby ain't got it on, have they? Oh, sorry. Love triangles don't have to be completed, do they? It can just be no. One. They don't have to. In fact, they usually are. No, no. Thank you. <laughs> Well, why are they called triangles? Why? They, why? Oh, like they're like a musical triangle, like an unjoined with a gap. Yeah. Ah, yeah. right. The story here is that, and this is the big reveal, really, isn't it? The climax of the movie, if you will. They climb, they climb, Abby and Yaya, yeah. They climb. They go over the mountain. They wind up on another little secluded beach, but there's a plastic chair there. Weirdly, isn't there? It's a plastic chair, and in fact, there's an elevator in the cliffside that goes up to a luxury resort that they have been. A few miles away from all this time. Who would have thought? And Yo-Yo is about to, you know, rush to the elevator and go and get help. But Abby says, hang on a minute, you know, let's just enjoy this moment. It's obvious, isn't it? You can see Abby's thinking here. that This moment is the moment where she stops being captain, starts being the cleaning lady again. Yeah. Yeah, unbeknownst that there's a crazy lady with a rock about to smash her brains in behind her says... Maybe she feels that. She says, hey, come on, let's go down to the uh, resort, or up to the resort, I'm not sure which way it is. Uh, I guess they're down at the beach, aren't they? Uh, and, you know, afterwards I can, I can, you can become my assistant. I Easy words to thinking. say, you know, without a contract, <laughs> isn't it? But the film ends, doesn't it? We don't know whether Abby actually brains it with a rock. Although... I've heard it said that she definitely does. Yeah, I mean, it's, we end with Mikhail rushing, 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 rushing through the thorns of the overgrowth. Yeah, um, what did that mean? Where was he going and why? To find to find them, I think. But he's cutting his arms to smithereens, you know, so. But we don't get any resolution. We don't know what exactly is happening. But a good ending, nonetheless. Yeah, well, as I say, it felt like I'd been really through it in this film. Yeah. It's a film, Paul, obviously, about class, but not yeah. ordinary kind of class. Look, apparently, according, again, to IMDb's trivia points, um, Peter Bradshaw, who's the Guardian's film reviewer, gave this a kind of scathing... He's not the only one. New Yorker did, and the National Review did also. 
Apparently, he compared this to a story by J.M. Barry from 1902, a play, actually, called The Admirable Crichton. Wow. Which presumably has some kind of shipwreck, uh, upper-class shipwreck story thing going on. But I think that misses the point, because class is not the same as it was in 1902. No. Even though Yaya and Carl are not super wealthy, and they're not born into class, they're still... You know, they're in an echelon. Yeah, that's they're mostly accepted. Yeah. Yeah. And they can mingle. Clearly Abigail, they can mingle successfully, yeah. Clearly, Abigail and the Philippine crew and Paula and her crew. I, I mean, there's a caste system even within the crew. Isn't yeah. There? And all of those people are treating the guests at, at, a, at a different level. Uh, and yeah. yeah, you know. So it's, it's addressing globalization in, in, in its yes, own it way, is. isn't it? Yeah. You know. And. Again, you know, it's not painting the the rich people as caricaturishly bad or evil. It got it got some criticism the, the way that Abigail so quickly became the tyrant. You know how quickly she assumed the mantle of oppression, uh, you know, and as the owner of the means of production, and how, given her experience, you know, as the underdog in society, how she so quickly forgot that. And didn't rule with compassion, and it gets criticism of that. In the it's, you know, it's it's called misanthropic. This movie, you know, in that nobody is painted in a good light. I mean, I saw it differently because Abigail has to keep strong and healthy. If they were in a survival situation, right? She she's going to have to do all the fishing and build all the fires. Yeah, she has to have half the octopus, no question. And she cuts it anyway. If the others are sitting around on their ass and playing backgammon, which is what some of them are doing. True, but I think the idea is the intention of the filmmaker was to say, look, actually, she's just the same as the rich people before. You're pointing out that it's not for those reasons, mechanistically. But the point is there isn't symmetry. The point is she, I mean, you know, the criticism I think that comes from, you know, more serious newspapers is that the political polemic behind it is just a little bit half-baked. It's a neither-nor situation. But I don't think it's meant sure. to be serious. I, I think it's meant to generally be a funny black comedy, it's, you know. It is. And it is funny. It is funny. I have to admit. Yeah, as I say, I I was in gales of laughter. Uh, because it's just so it's so disgusting, isn't it? <laughs> so it's when the Russian's wife is in the toilet uh, in that in in that kind of bodice, but versatile too, because uh, we get that kind of. It's not. A, it's 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 a slow roast rather than a spit roast of satire at the beginning about the fashion industry. The Bruno S, you know, there's, that's a more gentle, but yeah. quite sharp approach to to skewing people. And then of course the middle is just it it it's grotesque humour, isn't it? Of the strongest nature. Yeah, you know, and then the third the third act really becomes taut and serious, doesn't it? So I think you know. I think it works as a movie. It does move in a direction that takes you to a serious point at the end, doesn't it? I, I must say, at most points in the movie, I did have no idea what direction it was going in. <laughs> but it does end up there, doesn't it? You know, I, I think that makes it intriguing and quite. It was engaging. surprising. Yeah, yeah, it was very surprising. I, I mean, a couple of things were telegraphed. Obviously, the bit where they go, uh, the "Yeah, it's going to be ruined. It's going to be stormy." You know. This food's uh, going to be ruined if we don't if we go on the yeah. slide kind of thing, yeah. So I, 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 you know, I don't think that the strong criticism that's received in some quarters. I don't think it squares entirely. Uh, although like, I, it won I, the Palm d'Or, didn't it? 
I do see their point. You know, I, I don't think they should have sat down and thought, what are we trying to say? A little more clearly. But then I think they would have lost a lot of the humour and a lot of the reverence of the movie by doing that. Yeah, yeah. They also, they, like... they make some quite high observations that it's trying to be like a cinema great like Goddard, you know, uh, French French great, I think, from postmodern great, one of the first postmodern greats, I think. Uh, but I don't think it is. I think it's just a fun movie. Absolutely, yeah. Are we in a sort of scoring situation? Well, just to say, I'm very brave to do a movie in three parts. Why is that not normal? Like, well, the three—I mean, they're three. I mean, they're three, I mean, they're three very different mini movies, aren't they? Really, they're three very different forty-five-minute movies, mini movie shorts. I, I think it works. They both sort of begin and end with an elevator. There's a lot of a Greenaway Nyman-esque moments where we've just got shots and music haunting the actions of the actors, you know. The last moments of Abigail and Yaya, sort of, as they're about, just before they see the elevator, you know. Some of that is very slowly shot and, yeah, it kind of, it kind of bathes in its own, its own cinematic glory, doesn't it? Obviously, the, I mean, you're gonna say end of genre, the death of genre, I think you said this before. It's a movie that's more than one kind of movie, isn't it? The last yeah, third you could say yeah. is actually the beach, couldn't you? The beach, it's very much like the beach, absolutely. You know, strong echoes of that. The middle bit is essentially the Titanic. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, the first bit is Bruno does Pret-a-Porter. So, <laughs> so Emily with a bit of Woody yeah. Allen, you know, sort of thrown in. So, so yeah. So a hodgepodge in a certain sort of way, but none the worse for that, I think. The acting pull in this movie. I loved it. I loved it I mean, because they just do the squeamishness and the insensitivity of rich people so well. Yeah. People yeah, who are just not right. aware of other people, you know, <laughs> and are just not used to being told anything they don't want to hear. It just comes across so, so, so well. And uh, again, some of the best vomiting I've ever seen <laughs> done so well. So well. Uh, uh, and, you know, to do that as an actress or an actor, you know, it's a very vulnerable thing to make yourself look, you know, that wretched uh, and to trust your director to do that. Carl's version, sort of uh, 2020 version of Angry Young Man, is done really well. Yeah. He's sort of, he's angered that he can't quite place in the right direction. Uh, and also the way he took direction in the casting call, you know. Uh, open your mouth, make yourself look more available. Uh, less than that. <laughs> really good. But the the actor that took away the took away another award as well as a movie was the Filipino uh, the famous Filipino actress that plays Abigail. Uh, I think she got yeah, the best of famous. Actress. Her name being Don <laughs> Don Don. Also, I don't know Dolly De Leon. Dolly yes, De Leon. That's right. So, yeah, good movie for me. I really enjoyed it. Time flew, uh, and uh, it said a lot of things that I think... Uh, what's that movie we were watching? High Rise? Tried to say Rise, similar yeah, things, yeah. didn't it? Uh, you could say it's High Rise as well, you know. So, But more enjoyable than High Rise. Oh, a lot more, more enjoyable, enjoyable, yeah. yeah. And so what are you giving the acting, sorry? The acting, an 8.5. I, I thought it was, it, was, it was good, if not superlative. How about you, Rich? I will certainly give it an 8.5 then. I'm, I'm not uh-huh. going to go lower. Yeah. Plot-wise, I think it's a strong point. We haven't had a strong plot like this for a while. Uh, 
It was outrageous enough to entertain, but you could believe all this would happen. Uh, the serendipity of the events didn't seem too much. But anyway, it was satire, and we kind of knew that plot was going to give people what they deserve. So a 9.5 for me on plot. I enjoyed it. Whoa. I'll give it an 8. Mm-hmm. You know, you could argue that it, it didn't hang together fully. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, it's a comedy. But- and it is a good score, let's be honest, though. A couple of weeks ago, we had the reinvention of the kitchen sink drama, didn't we? With uh-huh. the Yorkshire haunting. And at the end of the movie, I don't know if this is a nod, they said, hey, here's a new kitchen sink for your new kitchen. This, I think, was a reinvention of the cliffhanger. And we had a cliff hanging at the end, didn't we? <laughs> a-, a movie that makes me laugh out loud and remember the meaning of life and Mr. Curioso exploding. <laughs> deserves a good 7 for for its... I think it was funnier than that. I'm going to go 7.5. Finally, political polemic. Um, points to make. Did it make any points for you? It did make some points, but it doesn't come down very firmly on one side or the other in some no, senses, does no. it? No. I'll give it a 7. Yeah, I think that was maybe the weaker area of the movie. I'm going to give it a 6.5. Overall, then, sounds like it's a cracker. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was no... Uh, what's the word? Um, I had no difficulty in watching this film. This was, wasn't an obstacle. It enriched my life. I could watch it again. So for me, overall, it's an 8.5. Yeah, I'll give it an 8. No question. Nice. Well, Very I'm nice sure I did. chose that one. Did I choose that one last week? You did, you did, you did. I think, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty good at this stuff, aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> Would you like to choose another one? No, I'm going to give you three options. Oh. Okay, go on. Throw them at me. The first one is men. You had men. plenty of male models, but now you can choose men. Uh, or you can go for a movie with a triangle on the poster. Another triangle theme here. I like it. Oh, yeah, I forgot my name. Triangle, perhaps? Triangle. Oh, that is I an alternative. Right. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, or a movie that looks as though it might be something to do with a triangle, uh, because the name is advantageous with a big A. It looks like wow, it. one, two, three triangle movies including this one. It's a triangle of triangles. Okay, advantageous. Why is the first one a triangle? Well, triangle of sadness. Men, is that a triangle of sadness. No men. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah. The three triangle movies that makes a triangle of triangles. Yes, it does. Yeah. Paul, how many angles, what is the angle of a triangle add up to? Is this the the first in a series of polygon of emotion movies? (laughs) It sounds like it's the first in our GCSE revision series. (laughs) Square of Despair. Find me on TikTok, everybody. I'm the man whose hands you can see on the exam papers, but nothing else. The Pentagon of Pensiveness. The Pentagon of Pensivity, yes. So, Paul, what do you choose? Men, or do you choose advantageous, or do you choose... I'm looking for a nod from your direction, Richard. Because two of these I know nothing about. Great! (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Well, you know, obviously you know men. Yes. Triangle, advantageous, scary, funny, interesting, wacky, offbeat. Triangle is a kind of... uh, Time loop horror. Oh. And advantageous 
is a near future city with soaring opulence overshadowed. You know, I enjoyed hardship. this one so much. I think men is very similar. I'm going to go for men. I think advantageous could be similar. Oh. Listen again, in a near future city where soaring opulence overshadows economic hardship, Gwen and, do, and their daughter do all they can to hold on to their joy despite instability surfacing in the world. No, I'm going for men. I'm sorry. You can pitch those again another time, Rich. Paul is going for men, and so am I, and so are you, if you want to listen along and have any clue what we're talking about next week. Come and join us for a piece of octopus. Until the next time. Ciao for now. See you on the next one. Bye. Goodbye. Thank you.